This is Hain Kiang from the NU People Podcast. And today we have our first guest, Tom Churchill. Um, he is a sophomore currently studying Middle Eastern and North African studies. I'm hopefully declaring a second major in economics, economics and perhaps a minor in Spanish. Yes. And Tom hails from Minnesota. St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> St. Louis, Missouri. But close. Bad. I have a lot of family in Minnesota, uh-huh. actually. Gotcha. Missouri. Yeah, Missouri. Like, Minnesota, though, like, that's where, like, my grandparents, mm-hmm. like, are Norwegian. Yeah. And all the Norwegian Scandinavian immigrants came down, was like, okay, what's a similar climate to Scandinavia? They uh-huh. picked Minnesota or, like, fucking North Dakota or yeah, some yeah, shit. Yeah. That's why they're all over there. So... Why Northwestern? And growing up and then getting to college, how was that process? I don't know. Well, first of all, I was like, I always wanted to go to like, like every kid wants to go to a good school, you know, like, I think that's a big aspiration. You know, if you're working hard in high school, like, that's obviously your goal is to, you know, find an institution that will give you and equip you the best for like your future. But I think I wasn't. I was kind of in a stage in my life, especially, or just like kind of the person who I am, I don't fuck with Ivy League institutions, and I don't fuck with, you know, kind of being absorbed into this blob of, like, at a state school where it's 30,000, 40,000 people, you know, and, and I think, again, like, Northwestern kind of fits this, like, delicate balance, like the Goldilocks zone of mm-hmm. university, at least for me, you know, I think that's how it should feel for everybody when they're picking their school. And I feel like I picked the right one. So what sort of kid were you in high school? Mm, it changed, you know, it changed. I think like, uh, originally I came into it, um, came from middle school. Middle school is like the worst shittiest time of childhood. I feel like, at least for me. And going into that, I was like, man, I got it get new friends, bro. This is a clean slate, you know? So I, I think a lot of it was like uh, redefining myself. And um, so I think I was constantly in this uh, process of like reimagining who I was. And because like I'd end up with certain people and I'm like, man, these kids aren't for me. And mm-hmm. so I, I kind of like move on to the next and next group of people like I still had like my like a core group of friends that I'd always hang out with but I think I always was like I need to find like the right people who really understand me in middle yeah. school um no in high school the, the entire mm-hmm. like I think I like my original friend group was really based around like, yeah. boy scouts mm-hmm. and like because we'd always go like go to meetings go to outings it was like you know, like a core group of friends, like if you're camping with a bunch of, of dudes, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like building fires mm-hmm. and shooting guns and stuff, like you're obviously going to build some friendships and that mm-hmm. is kind of, but like in high school, it's like you're maturing, you know, you can't have the same level of like, you know, you got to start talking to girls and shit, yeah. you know, like you have to like kind of grow out of these original like safe spaces that you kind of develop for yourself. Okay. And so what were the qualities of these new people that you met? That you enjoy? Mm, I don't know. Like, they were different. Like, about, I, in what sense? I think, well, because the weird part about our high school mm-hmm. was that it was a fusion of two different middle schools. So it's like you had half from my middle school and then half from 
this other middle middle school from like similar area, but just like a different neighborhood dynamic. Like they've had completely different social dynamics, mm-hmm. and so you kind of throw that in together into one high school. Um, it creates like this kind of mess, you know, uh-huh. like the, like chaos theory. Like you have a bunch of new people yeah, that don't know yeah. what to do with themselves, and like you kind of see gradually as the years go on, mm-hmm. like how basically like they form into stable states you know each person finds a group Mm -hmm. and i think i was in the process of doing that finding my stable state. yeah it's like free electrons yeah exactly like you gotta find some like react with another yeah definitely Mm -hmm. so did you think you found the right people when you were in high school like as in were they people that you still had reservations about, but you still went with them because, you know, that's the friend group. Or did you think that they were, like, the people that you could ride or die with? Yeah. Um, I think uh, kind of a mix of both, you know. I think, like, by the end of senior year, you know, COVID had hit. Uh, but, like, you know, we were all doing reflections, basically. And kind of reflecting back on my time, I think... Um, I'm I'm never the person to like burn bridges. So I always like if I have a good relationship with somebody, I'm gonna make sure to keep that. Um and so I never felt like necessarily like my friends themselves were at all like I felt very secure in the fact that they were good people. But sometimes like friend groups can be artificially constructed, especially in high school where, you know, yeah, maybe definitely. like like the necessity of wanting to host a party or something it ends up like overcoming the actual like non-vibiness between individuals you know Mm -hmm. like you kind of subvert your individual relationship for like a larger group yeah you know and so i ended up like okay i'll like i want to go to people's houses get fucked up you know like this is what like high school is about i think we're all given this imaginary vision of like high school like project x like we're you know, trying to go party. And then I realized, like, man, like, like, I'm with all the, like, I'm, yeah, I get to drink and have fun and, like, play Pong or whatever and learn how to do that. But and I think, on one hand, it's good to experience that before you go to college, just so you have, like, a little more of a safety net with your parents and high school and stuff. But I kind of ended up realizing, like, like, I, I didn't like half the people in this group. Like, why am I with them? You know, I'm, like, forcing my, like, this isn't who I am, you know? Like, I'm, like, letting this group become me rather than becoming, like, the pro- like the project of my dreams and fascinations and, like, all the shit that's going on in my head, you know? So what would you say that person is that you have been trying to find? And did you find that person, like, that genuine core of who you are and your passions like up till now or are you still searching well i think like this probably isn't a good answer to your question but i think you'll you're never truly gonna find yourself or at least that's not the way i think it should work um i think you know if you're going through life you're constantly adding experiences you know until the day that you die you know like and you don't really have an exact you, you know, like 
I think as each experience like redefines you, you know, like, you know, of course there is that like stable you and I, like an average identity that you have, but like, you know, like, like, let's say like kid Tom is different from teenager Tom is different from college age Tom is different from like grandfather Tom, you know, like those, those are all different people, all different stages of life, different relationships. And so I think to answer your question, I don't think, I fully know myself. I think I know who my like college young adult self is, you know. That's a really good answer, I feel, because we would have never experienced or would have known what experiences we would have gone through now, like five years yeah. ago or ten years ago. And we are just gonna a completely changed person. Yeah. You know, and I, I think like also it's like kind of Automatically, like uh-huh. of course, when you're 40, you're not going to be changing as much as exactly you're not going from five to ten. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like, um, like still, even then, like those those marginal increases, those marginal changes, uh-huh. can have big impacts. Yeah, no, that fascinates me because then you talk to people who are 60, 70, 80, and those are people who have like four times yeah. your life experience. They must have gone through a lot of other things yeah. on top of the things that you would have gone through. and what has how that changed their Mm -hmm. lives but so i mean the reason why i asked to talk to you is yes you're a very interesting person Mm -hmm. but we wanted like a uh a core to the conversation and it would be your journey from was it new york new york city all the way to LA and then to Portland, Oregon. So from coast to coast. Yeah. So like I kind of visualize it as like a Nike swoosh in a hitchhiker. Yeah, hitchhiking gotcha. pretty much all the way. Okay. I like I refer to it on uh, my Snapchat story as the Great American Shit Show, uh-huh. um, which was kind of my like idealization of the experience, and mm-hmm. I think it definitely like amounted up to that with all the crazy shit that did happen. Yeah, so let's just start from the beginning. Like, it would be crazy for anyone, like normal people, yeah. to imagine I'm just going to drop everything for this summer. I'm going to start from New York, go to the other coast, and so much uncertainty, lack of security. Yeah. Um, you don't know what's going to happen out there. You don't know if you can trust these people, but you decide to do it. So tell me that thought process. How you um, Well, it kind of starts off with like, my family background like because i'm first of all only child and then like first my parents divorced when i was really uh, really young so it was basically me and my mother and so i think my mother is kind of like me but to like 23rd 25 years later like more developed like crazy shit you know and a little bit more crazy too you know um as most moms are because you need to be crazy to like raise your kids um but i think knowing her and her experience where she was like first of all she did a lot of hitchhiking back in her day and then um like she walked like she hiked through brazil barefoot like just you know like just did her thing like for an entire year like she left college she uh i think she was going to wisconsin U wisconsin madison at the time and she just fucking did that. What you know? year was this? I think, oh God, uh, well, she was born like 76, so mm-hmm. probably like late 90s, early oh, 2000s. Okay. 
So kind of like when that period, that weird period um, of like the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, and she, beyond that, like she, she's always been like a traveler, like go getter. And, you know, and primarily person that succeeds the most at an individual basis, you know? And so I think that carried on to me at the point where I succeed the most when I'm doing it alone. I'm like in, in completely in control, you know, and, and completely in the, not completely in control, but total utter freedom of choice about like the given options that I have. And so, um, you know, and I think my entire childhood was like looking forward to that opportunity of like adulthood, you know, like having your own shit. But I think a lot of times adults don't really take advantage of their freedom and independence that they have. Mm. They prefer to like just stick to the mainstream, you know, stick to what's known. And Mm -hmm. you don't get freedom from that. Like you're sticking to the path that's set out for you by all the people around you. And Mm -hmm. I think I was like, man, I got to like, I have this opportunity. I'm 19 years old. I can buy a plane ticket wherever the fuck I want. I have money. I can, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, family obligations were a difficulty, but we can talk about that later Mm -hmm. with my, um, but, uh, other than that, dude, I was like, man, I just got to fucking do this. I like, I have the tool, I have the tools, I have the equipment. I was like born to do this. And I like, you know, and I think part of it is like, you know, everyone's saying that you couldn't, you know, like you're going to fucking die. Like my friends are like, Hey, I'm going to buy you a gun. I'm going to buy you a gun. And I'm going to, and I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Like a hitchhiker with a gun is like, I don't know. It's like a, I I can't think of a metaphor for that, but that's a terrible idea. You know, like, Uh like an armed, like ruffian, an armed vagabond, like that, has encounters with the police like that's terrible you know but that's kind of people's conceptions of it yeah so what about the experience was different from their conceptions well like i'll say there were some similarities um like there you know when they say that there are like weird dudes that'll try and ask you to suck their dick like perverts and shit there are dudes out there, and I had encounters with that. Um, so that's definitely... Let's go into that a little more. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So what exactly happened? What were your experiences? Um, well, I was in, like, the middle of Pennsylvania. I was trying to see... I was trying to get my way to Cleveland to see Reese Brighton, our mutual friend. Um, and I was... God, God knows where, for real. Like, it was just a little at intersection... I, there wasn't a town nearby, like not even a gas station, like just com- just roads, cars, and trees. And um, I was stuck out there probably for like six hours, you know, no human contact except for this guy that tried to pull over. I mean, like he he just came up to me. I didn't hear what he said at first. He's like, after I made him repeat it a few times, he's like, "Hey, stud," you know, and I'm. I've, I've never been referred to that in my life. Uh-huh. I've never like had that, I, like especially by a middle aged man, you know, mm-hmm. an overweight middle aged man uh, driving like an Audi or some shit. 
And, and so that caught me off guard. And then, like, mm. and then he, he's trying to be low key. You know, I don't know what the smoothest way to ask <laughs> another man <laughs> to solicit a blowjob. Yeah, yeah. Him, uh-huh. You know, but obviously he had had experience probably. Mm. And so he was pretty sly with it. He's like, he's not like, hey, can you suck my dick? Yeah. He's like, hey, are, kid, are you trying to make a quick buck? You know, and, and so like not obviously okay. referring to the act, but mm-hmm. to the monetary exchange yeah, yeah, involved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that and then I was caught off guard by that, and I'm like, no man, like I'm not fucking about that. Like get get the fuck out of here. Uh huh. And um, he just and he offered to give me a ride too, like you know, in his car, and I'm like, after yeah, six hours. Yeah. Of and, no ride. And, and, like, that was my only social contact, you know, mm. that entire period, um, except for when somebody actually did pick me up, yeah. you know, or, and the time, like, a, uh, a police officer that, like, stopped to say, so a police officer and a pervert, <laughs> only contact, I had uh-huh. nothing else, like, my phone was about to die, like, uh-huh. it was a fucking scary ass experience. And that was the beginning, sort of, like, closer to Yeah, the you know, I was, like, two days into that shit. Like starting hit like never having hitchhiked before, mm-hmm. like two days into it, you know, it's not like a complicated. You just stand on the road and mm-hmm. put your thumb out, wave a sign around, look stupid. But you know, I think it it it's the bravery and being able to look stupid. You know, oh. that's the difficult part, mm-hmm. not necessarily like the process. Mm-hmm. What did the it. police officer say to you? Uh, well, because I was trying to walk on the like interstate, oh. you know, and like cars are going Is that like illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, okay. exactly. Uh-huh. And, but like, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here, you mm-hmm. know, like, like I, like I didn't want to get stuck in the middle yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all I had was like fucking, like crackers, like peanut butter crackers and apples and shit. And I'm like, man, I gotta like, yeah, get, yeah, like yeah. get something, dude. Uh-huh. Get out of here. And so, but he was like. Nah, you can't do that. And then, like, registered me. But, like... He registered you? Yeah, like, into his system. Like, they track... Like, they have a whole police system where, like, really? they track uh-huh. individuals. Like, they... You know, that's why they ask for your ID is so uh-huh. that they can, like, mark you. And, you know, like, you're a... But honestly, I, like, sometimes, like... It, it's also good because, you know, like, if that pervert was actually, like, a... Like, a megalomaniac or some shit and mm-hmm. tried to kill me or something because I didn't want to oh. solicit... A blowjob uh-huh. or you know whatever um yeah they would have known mm-hmm. and they could have been like okay like we can trace we have a location in the name and all that oh okay and then he didn't offer you to give you a ride though nah dude <laughs> I'm goodness, I'm goodness. <laughs> okay that's so interesting so that was like the experience you had where it sort of confirmed the fears yeah yeah of your friends and other people i'll say uh an experience that didn't um I think it was like the experience right after too. Oh, okay. Um and like he, the guy that gave me the ride, uh like from that intersection where I was standing fucking alone, um, to town probably like thirty miles down the highway, down the interstate. And uh I forgot his name, but he was like just a like a, a mountain man, you know, like like in the in the uh-huh. sense of like if you think of like northern like Appalachia, you know, mm-hmm. like you're from Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if you know like rural Pennsylvanians at all. Oh. But like it kind of mm-hmm. definitely like it, 
either family working in a coal mine or yeah, coal yeah, mine yeah. shut down kind of vibes, like mm-hmm. hillbilly elegy type shit. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And like you think, like you're like talking in this dialect, and you're thinking like any like any other time that you're with that kind of person, you're gonna be like, oh, like he's a stupid country redneck, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't know anything, and like. But that guy was my only, like, ticket out of there, you know? Like, and, and in the end, like, like that's, I probably, I could, just estimating, at least, like, 800 cars passed me, you know? Oh. And, like, that one person, you know, who everyone else would assume is, like, kind mm-hmm. of the the underclass or, you know, yeah, just the yeah, bottom yeah. rung of mm-hmm. society, like, um, was a person that was willing to act and help another person out, you know? I think that says a lot about kind of appearances being deceiving and kind of, I don't know, it just, uh, it really opens your heart up to, you know, rather than your eyes, like, your eyes can be deceiving, but your heart knows, truly. Yeah, I think that's a good point where there are people who are very intelligent and they love the idea of humanity. Yeah. But when, a, like, for example, like a homeless person is right in front of them, yeah. they're not going to love humanity in the same way for that one person. Yeah. So most people are like that. But then there are some people who still have that genuine kindness inside of them. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, for a lot of people, it it's because we haven't been trained to, and I think our society in itself doesn't, just because we're, we're so separated, you know, like, we're a big-ass country, and, like, kind of just with the way, like, developments work, you know, you can be living in a suburb and have no contact, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessarily, like, fear for fear's sake, like, unless if, like, it's, like, they're being overtly aggressive, you know, or, like, um, like a homeless person is being really naggy with their panhandling. But, like, they're just there, you mm-hmm. know? But, like, like you know, homeless dudes are just there sitting there, not even at, like, he's, if anything, he's like, hey, it's gonna change. And, like, mm-hmm. people are still scared of that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they'll, like, like turn their heads, you know, ignore, like, try not to make eye contact with them. You know, that's another human that, that, that exists with you on this planet, and you can't even make eye contact with them. Yeah. So... So you said like out of eight hundred, maybe one car would yeah. stop. So yeah. it would be a very, like a small sample of people that you met. Like would be a very different kind of person. So what do you think you saw that was in common with all the people who picked you up and who were nice to you and were kind to you? Like what about them like stood out to you that's uh-huh. different from the other seven hundred ninety nine people? I definitely think, like, not people that would end up at Northwestern, okay. you know, like, okay. or, or just in that essence, like, most, um, like, suburban, like, folks, you know, because that's what I'm saying about this whole, like, development issue is that, like, for a lot of those people, like, if they're, if you're kind of living in this, like, outer urban core, you know, like, you're... You're not in the rural area, but you're not in the, the city either. You're kind of in this little, in, in essence, like a Goldilocks zone for middle America. And uh, 
I don't know. I you're just not built to encounter because also it's like nobody hitchhikes anymore, so like they can't conceptualize the fact that someone would actually do that. Um, and and so definitely not that. I think, but also but on the other rooms you have like either people that are you know more rural or you know I I even had like inner city people too that like were um, mm-hmm. definitely experienced like just with the rawness of life I guess and mm-hmm. not the constant level of you know comfort and safety that's provided yeah know? so do you have anything to say about that after your experience like about trusting people and not necessarily being fearful of them um yeah I definitely say like because um, the thing is it's like trust involves like a knowledge of some risk you know also you know like you have like to trust someone you have to realize that like they know things about you that could hurt your reputation or your image or like it's not going to be beneficial um, uh, or like like trust in the fact that like someone could hurt you or you know something Uh, and i think a lot of it is like you know there is always going to be that risk no matter what um but it's about being like okay being prepared for if that does happen knowing what to do and how to be safe if the risk does um, come into fruition and, you know, be prepared for that. But also like taking that and that's probably like a 2% chance, 1%, 0.01, whatever it is, very like small, like it's a lot smaller than people make it out to be, you know? And like out of like my worst experience was probably that like pervert view. Yeah. And, and like, just because they're different from you does not mean that they're bad. I think that's one of my like major mantras in life. So you sent me a bunch of clips, yeah, of people that you met and conversations that you had. Did any interest you? I think all of them interested me. Yeah, and I wrote down notes. So um, I think we already went over the first one, which was the feeling of not being picked yeah. up and despair. That you felt, but then also the gratitude, I guess, when someone actually did pick you up. Yeah. And the kindness you felt from them. Um, The second one, um, you you talked about the beauty of nature and Mm -hmm. autumn and Maine. So you must have spent a lot of time outside. Yeah. In your hitchhiking journey. So what did you observe around you that you didn't necessarily take in while you were, you know, in a normal, you know, like school or home? Well, I think like living, because, well, first of all, like while I was on the road, you know, I didn't have, like, I wasn't, like, if I'm going to do a hitchhiking experience, I'm not going to try and like get a hotel or some shit. Yeah, you know, yeah. First of all, that's expensive as fuck. Exactly. And um, second of all, like, that's not in the spirit of the journey, you mm-hmm. know? So I think I just brought my hammock, set it up, um, like every night on the road. And, um, like with that came this like sense of like rhythm with just like the cycle of the sun, you know, I think it's so good for your mental health health when you can like wake up at the break of dawn, go to sleep at dusk, you know, Mm. and like fully experience the day, like the way, like the earth was created Mm -hmm. to, 
the way that human beings use yeah it. exactly because you know for we evolved for literally since mm-hmm. like when we were oysters or whatever in the fucking ocean or mm-hmm. little single cell creatures like that's how it's always been the case mm-hmm. and so um when we kind of break this with fucking fluorescent lights and um sitting inside all day you break that cycle and then your brain gets confused and i think um when your brain gets confused i think manifestations of depression anxiety emerge and like people are like always wondering like what the fuck is going on why am i sad you know but it's like this isn't how you were meant to live and i think that's the biggest thing about like actually living in nature and really living outside of any like building artist structure yeah you know no I, I i agree with that i think a lot of times a lot of things that we take for like sort of granted are completely misaligned yeah. with what our bodies are made to do like yeah. especially like you know watching videos on a phone yeah. or looking at news on a phone it's completely misaligned with Usually we would just be around a neighborhood or a community and we would exactly. get news from them and occasionally news would come from like bigger cities yeah. and like connected us to, you know, the bigger world. But now it's instantly connected and they're like dopamine surges and like immediate gratification yeah. to the point where there's no striving for this large goal like, you know, hunting or mm-hmm. yeah, like the things that people used to do yeah. every day wake up hunt go back to sleep along with the sun and the cycle yeah i think also like there's a whole aspect of community too like now like it's so mm-hmm. weird to me yeah. to consider like i'm just like making like like at school when i'm walking like or here i'm like walking to class and i'll make eye contact with a bunch of people but i don't know who the fuck they are they're mm-hmm. not gonna say hi to me mm-hmm. like if you think about it like like humans are innately social creatures that's often I said you know but like that. they're meant to talk with the people that they're with you know mm-hmm. not just look at them make judgments about them and move on mm-hmm. you know like they're meant to have conversation they're meant to communicate between each other rather than you know visualizing them and or like you know seeing them and then making a judgment over them yeah. i think that's like a like one of the biggest things that kind of like weirds me out to this mm-hmm. whole I don't know like urbanized I don't know, civilization thing I guess <laughs> exactly that also might be a reason why people don't take other people up because they're scared of the conversation yeah. that they have to have with that person yeah. but like the people that you got picked up by they they didn't have to worry about that because they were naturally like conversationalists, they're naturally sort of more connected. Is that yeah. the feeling that you got? Um, well, I think like part of it, um, at least with the people that pick me up, mm-hmm. uh, it, it definitely like they had it, they'd seen it before, you okay. know. So mm-hmm. like they they either had experience with it, so like they knew they didn't have that kind of initial apprehension of just inexperience. Mm-hmm. And I think partially a lot of like a lot of people, um, especially early on, um, I think they were older, you know, or mm-hmm. like it, it was a lot of people that didn't necessarily like uh, 
I guess they had, they themselves had lived through a lot of life, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. knew how to handle this experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think older people have a lot more tools yeah. that they can, like, use if, like, a certain situation arises or mm-hmm. a certain break in the conversation happens. They're yeah. better at facilitating it until you find the groove and yes. then you keep it going. So that was like, okay. So the next clip, the third clip they sent me, um, there was this guy, he was talking about subconscious racism. Yeah. About divorce, about the LGBTQ and capitalism. Do you remember this experience? Yeah, dude. He was, um, his name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And I had just uh, gotten dropped off by a friend in Kansas City mm-hmm. at this truck stop. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Kansas. And I needed to get to Colorado. And mm-hmm. Kansas is a very long state. Uh, but luckily, this dude Jeremiah picked me up. He was going to drive all the way to Denver, Colorado. Really? And oh. so I was with this dude for like 10 hours, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. And he, like, he was definitely a, a good conversationalist and mm-hmm. had a lot of interesting things. So we definitely, like, it, like, did a lot of bonding in that short 10 hour period like short long but like you know uh-huh. like in a exact relationship sense, it's like you're kind of coming and going and yeah, so, yeah yeah um but this dude like he had a lot to say i think uh especially on this whole thing of uh like uh race and out like this like the political the hot political topics mm-hmm. of today like it was interesting to see because You'd think like a like a like a middle aged white trucker um, from like with a southern accent from Texas would have a lot of these conceptions that you consider to be like more Republican, you know, or and not as open minded about mm-hmm. like certain subjects of LGBTQ plus issues or race relations or um, police violence. Um, criminal justice reform, and but like this guy was telling me, like you know, ten hours is the longest time. Like, I he told me a lot of shit that he probably didn't tell anybody else, mm-hmm. you know. And like, first of all, like, like this Texan had you know moved from Texas to uh, Seattle, like in his twenties, yeah. you know, and like Seattle is the opposite of Texas, just politically speaking, you know, like. Mm. Exactly. Very, like very different political culture yeah and, and he basically was like okay like like what the heck is going on over here and then gradually he was like okay maybe some of the shit they're saying is kind of right you mm-hmm. know like yeah. like maybe some of these topics of social maybe like texas isn't doing everything right you know and eventually yeah. he finds like a uh like a, a bisexual woman like i don't know kind of like a at least the image she got uh, that he gave me was like a very like manic pixie dream girl like mm-hmm. you know Seattle like shaved buzz cut like yeah, septum yeah, yeah. ring you know mm-hmm. all that and he's like a Texas cowboy kind of guy and it really made me feel like you know uh, again like th- these encounters with random strangers it like it filters out any of like the socioeconomic like political like class categories that were like kind of forced in and kind of like that limits the the people that we could hang out with you know and yeah so, like you see like you see people not for their like 
political beliefs, but just as a human, you see them as a human and then learn about their political beliefs rather than seeing their political beliefs and then going back from there, you know, and and turning back, turning back and shooing them away. Exactly. I think um, an important thing with that is if you think that, if you believe and truly believe to the core of your heart that another person is equal to you, yeah. then you can move on from there and Definitely. there can be differences, but you'll understand that this person in this position would be, you know, inclined to believe this mm-hmm. instead of saying that person is just false and is either in a lower class than you are or yeah. in a different class than you are. Yeah. And so that tribalist mentality of not truly believing someone else is equal to you yeah. is that like sets off a lot of things. Because I think in like sort of the condescending sense, a lot of times people who you think are lower than you, you will treat them differently than even if they do the exact same thing as someone who did like you think is on the same level as you, you'll treat them differently than if like, and it's like really interesting. I think um, someone was talking about how, there was this encounter that they had and they were reading off of a list and then their friend told them, oh, that's not how you do it. Let me show you how to do it and grabbed yeah. it away and then did it, you know, in the correct way and she wasn't the wrong and then she was sort of shamed for it. Yeah. But then she was like thinking all of these things. What should I do? Is this like, right? Like, what? Like I was just, I'm so embarrassed. And yeah. then later she saw that there's another two groups of friends who were doing the same thing. Yeah. One person was reading off the list and they were doing it wrong. And then the other person says, Oh no, no, you just need to do it this way. Yeah. And then that person's like, okay, I understand. I'll just do it this way now. So like the way that even if you perceive the same thing, but like your attitude towards them, if you think they're lower than you, or you think they're different, like outside of your range of comprehension, then you're like, you can dismiss them. And then you can be like, oh, you're wrong. Let me show you. Or instead of being like, I understand you feel the way you do or you understand things in a different way, but here's like what I think. Yeah. Right. And if they agree with you, then they agree with you. And a lot of times people are inherently similar in that sense that you care about other people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even if it's the closest people around you. And once you, once you like connect on that level, yeah then i think things are a lot more cordial between you and exactly. the other person exactly but it's all about like breaking that barrier exactly you know? mm-hmm. and it's it's very difficult if you're like in the same routine like doing the same thing every day you know like mm-hmm. going with to work people. yeah like hanging out with the same friends mm-hmm. you know not choosing to like like it doesn't you can't like of course like i think it's important to have like your like your people like your mm-hmm. your tribe your friend group whatever your family but like we live in a world of 7.8 billion people yeah you know? like there's more than just that there's more than just your tribe mm-hmm. and i think like that extends to all levels of population like from town family community up to state exactly. nation you know civilization yeah, so like leaving your comfort zone doesn't necessarily just mean 
leaving the area you are in, but the people you are yeah, around. Definitely. And so, like, for you, it was the comfort zone was initially, okay, you're in your home, and then you're going to be out on, your, on yeah. the road, and it can be dangerous on the road. And so that was leaving your comfort zone initially. But also yeah. meeting all these different types of people all across yeah, the United right? States, living their different lives in their own communities. And that will just open you to a lot yeah. more because you're getting everything from like all exactly. different parts of the United States. Yeah. And I think like a huge aspect uh, of that was that like, you know, because it's such a, a wide variety too, it's like you get to a certain ex- extent where it's like, not much can really like scare you or turn mm. you off anymore. So you yeah. just kind of like that part of your brain that's like, oh, strangers, like bad, scary, mm. you know, which yeah. is, I, is dead. It's like, there's a reason why it's there to us biologically. Now. Yeah. Well, like and now too, like, like that whole like stranger danger movement, mm. you know, yeah. where like, I, I think we build up a very cautious society. Mm-hmm. Culturally. Yeah. And like, cause hitchhiking used to be very popular, but then like, the like the, in the history of hitchhiking basically like up until the 70s 80s like that was just like you'd see like a group of like 12 hippies at the same like mm. fucking on-ramp to the highway it's like a little bus stop or some shit yeah, yeah you know but now like or and like after that like they realized oh like state police forces you know uh and government officials basically realized okay we can't have people just going around in other people's cars mm-hmm. like we can't keep track of that you know it's not safe yeah and uh they were like okay they got rid of the laws they made a few they found like they published those stories about like axe murder hitchhikers mm. and you know like and, and that's scared yeah. like everyone's scared exactly and, you know scared people are a lot easier to control too mm-hmm. you know and i think if you can keep people in their like similar social groups yeah it's, yeah it's a lot easier for people to be like you know if you don't have the same amount of social capital uh-huh. in a sense of like connections yeah like yeah. it's much easier it's much more difficult to you know organize like community and you know mm-hmm. social movements um and so yeah I, I think that's kind of a sad part of the like it's something i kind of found out about america you know, because I kind of mm-hmm. made this journey about America. Okay. And, you know, like, or at least, like, like, I wanted to study, like, the the essence of this country, you know? And it's, like, um, there's not really a better way to do it than just going across the entire land. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I think that that's just a, a common theme across um, a lot of the country. Yeah, so why do you think you're studying Middle Eastern North African studies? Um, well, I think I I started off um, doing this because I wanted something completely different, you know? Like, I, like, I, like, you see me, I have, I have my proud American shirt, I have my proud American hat. Like, I am a very, like, I love this country so much because it, it's given, it's all I have, you know? And uh, I want to go to a place that's, you know, like the Middle East, uh, specifically like the Arab world, uh, like the Levant, uh, Arabian Peninsula, Egypt, uh, Northern Africa, uh, it's so fucking misunderstood, you know, like even after, like we're kind of in this 
comfortable distance from 9-11 to where, you know, and ISIS and all that, where, like, terrorist fears aren't as, you know, domineering as they once were, but, like, or in Islamophobia, too, but, like, still, it's just, it's so different, you know, like, I think we have this idea of, like, the Western world, and it, like, that's the thing, like, I didn't want to go to Europe, you know, Mm -hmm. or, like, uh, study kind of this because in the end like they speak a lot of different languages and uh it, it's diverse within this kind of cat but like overall like we have very similar values like christian you, like values. yeah like christian about like you know like thousands of years of history have kind of shaped them in similar ways you know yeah, and then we, we just sort of branched off yeah like that at one point and, that but like tree. we're we're still very young you know mm-hmm. like 300 years ago like that's not a exactly. lot of time to think about and so mm-hmm. i think if you think about uh like the middle east like a tradition um you know of course a big part of their culture is based around islam started in sixth century uh mm-hmm. or seventh century uh yeah sixth century uh ad uh like that's a whole different timeline yeah you know a whole different like cultural set of traditions Mm -hmm. you know ideas beliefs you know that aren't based on anything Mm -hmm. like of course they're both abrahamic religions yeah and so they kind of base some of the same uh sort of ideas of like the old testament Mm -hmm. you know but um it's it's still like and religion in my for me is a very important part of my life so I kind of wanted to uh, take that part of me, like take this like Christian part of me, mm-hmm. and then like compare it and see what I can learn from this completely opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think there's a lot of comparisons between like the Middle East, Islam, and Christianity is like a clash of civilizations mm-hmm. too. You know, and so they're identified as polar opposites. A lot yeah. Of times. yeah. And just because like the West is open and free, but and is it yeah, exactly? And then the mm-hmm. the Middle East is characterized as repressive, you know, yeah, uh, traditional, traditional, yeah. And but you know, like whenever people make up like some sort of dichotomy like that, it's never true. Nothing black and white like mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as just good, just evil. Yeah, you know, like it's way more complicated than that. And I think. Um, if you can understand that, and if you can, uh, like go there, travel there, understand, um, talk to people. I think mm-hmm. you just gotta talk, like, like do the same thing that you were doing. I was doing in America, but just do it in the Middle East. You know. Oh, so what did you? Not like hitchhike. Maybe I'm not gonna hitchhike. Like I don't know about that. You uh, know, but uh, but talk talking to people yeah. for sure. So, what do you think you learned about the Middle East that? contrast with your religion and with your values like the differences that you think exist there from your studies thus far i don't know like because part of me is like like i love drinking you know Mm -hmm. and uh a big idea of the middle east is that you know islam is you know it's a very sober culture Mm -hmm. but like part of me like uh, even though Permeate doesn't kind of like this like Western idea of constant excess, you know, mm-hmm. like this I like this because 
in the West, we're constantly trying to commodify shit. You know, we're mm-hmm. constantly trying to sell shit. Um, you know, so that, trying to come up with like new needs for people. You know, mm-hmm. like develop a product, get people hooked on it, and then they need to buy it. You know, and, and so and that's how our economy grows is because if more people spend more money, there are p- other people are going to start making more money. But to get people to spend more money, you need to make them feel like they need something. Yeah. You know, that's worth spending their hard, like, their literal time and labor um, spending something. like. And, and so, I, and opposed to that, I think, uh, in Islam, there's at least, uh, or just in the Middle East in general, um, but specifically because of, like, traditionalism um, mm-hmm. in the area it it hasn't been completely like like transformed you know there's mm-hmm. they're always trying to battle that kind of western idea of um, I wouldn't say like capitalism but just like this commodification consumers uh, consumer like, yeah because I think uh, like that, we can talk, talk about Marx or whatever mm-hmm. but I'm not really trying to get that we're not about that either. yeah no, that's that's completely fine I think, yeah, there is always bad things about, like, either extremes. Yeah. Like, like there's always things that go wrong at the extremes. Mm -hmm. And so finding a good balance, but individually. Like, you're, you're, I mean, you can try to change your society. You're probably not going to make much of a dent as an individual. Mm -hmm. But first, I feel like you have to align yourself with what you believe and truly, genuinely align yeah, myself, and yeah. then afterwards try and, you know, whether it's to talk to other people about it, whether it's to help a social movement occur, yeah. like, and follow that with the core of your being, instead of doing things like flakily, like things that aren't truly what you believe, but you stand for. Yeah. I, I don't know who said this. Part of me thinks it's like, Hitler or Stalin or somebody scary, uh-huh. yeah, you know, like some somebody on the wrong side of history, yeah, definitely. Um, and he's like a guy or a man, a person that has knowledge mm-hmm. isn't as scary as a man, a person that has faith, you know. And I think that mm-hmm. idea that like just the power of human belief, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, the power of just like powerful ideas in your head that that's more valuable than any amount of material or knowledge you know uh, of value Mm -hmm. definitely knowledge doesn't equal action yeah ever because you can be like oh i know i have to get up at 6 a.m i know i have to you know get up and do this and that or i know i have to work out you know these things like yeah. materially or like knowledge wise is definitely will lead to a better life. You know that, you know that it's going to improve your, you know, like stability and your bodily functions and everything, but you choose not to do that because yeah. you don't have like a person with faith though. Like even if it's just getting up in the morning to go to church on Sundays yeah, or like some people would get up really early to go to, the morning service, like every day, like yeah. prayer, like at 6 a.m. Like my parents used to do that all the time. Yeah. And just that action, that knowledge that is translated into action is so much more powerful 
than just the knowledge itself because just with knowledge you're always constantly in doubt yeah and you're not going to ever develop it unless you test it against the world and then you do it and you test it and if it works if it doesn't work then you can continually change your knowledge of the world until you get to a place where you're like okay i understand this now and i feel like until you can do that you must keep testing your exactly, beliefs against dude. the world exactly and i think like like you talk you, you talk about the knowledge portion of it but i think also like the material portion mm-hmm. um this idea that the like money can change the world i think mm-hmm. like a lot of the issue is like at least it, i feel like in our culture that we can just throw money at it you know mm-hmm. like um like one of my professors was like you know what is the what is the biggest you know change or influence you know behind uh like producing social action you know mm-hmm. or intervening in um like despicable acts or you know just non approved of um like negative energy whatever and but anyways like i i just feel like uh material like throwing money at a problem yes i like we live in the system where money can buy you anything and it can it can get you what you need and um puts food on the table it's like the lifeblood of our our society basically Mm -hmm. but if there's not as you were saying kind of with this knowledge piece if there's not an idea to back it up Mm -hmm. if there's not like faith in or a belief mm-hmm. behind that money that can push it in the right direction, yeah. you know, like it, it's just going to go nowhere. People are just going to spend it. That's how corruption kind of emerges, exactly. you know, because people are just going to mm-hmm. spend the money on whatever the fuck they want, you know, what they rather than, because I feel like beliefs go against what you want, mm-hmm. you know, like against those internal desires. If uh-huh. you believe something, it can beat that like urge yeah no i was taking a political science class about like you know the middle like international relations in general and a big thing was we looked into afghanistan and why it failed so much and apparently the united states has been throwing so much money at the problem but there wasn't that core belief that could stop the corruption from occurring, that literally the money was pouring in, they didn't know what to do with it. And mm-hmm. now there's like billions and billions of dollars of equipment that's left in Afghanistan for, you know, yeah. the Taliban to take over. But I don't know. So what do you think? Do you think generosity of individuals, like perhaps from the people that you met on your trip you think that there is a like a relationship with generosity and personal hardship slash poverty um versus yeah i definitely say i think um well i think it's kind of easy to kind of imagine that uh a person that's been through a lot Mm -hmm. been through hardship hardship um or hardship um uh-huh. they're like obviously gonna have more ability to have empathy towards others that are facing hard times mm-hmm. you know 
Um, like some like there before the grace of God go I type shit for real. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I think it, it's kind of it's crazy because you know uh, uh, I also lead my like church uh, Bible discussions, uh, like theology discussions, and a lot of it what, what we talk about is just that like wealth can really like corrupt your mind, and and, and this idea that. Um, if you kind of get absorbed in this cycle of commodity, you know, and you're not able to break out of it, either like by you know, talking to someone that's different than you, or like not realizing that you don't need everything, I think, um, or just like you don't need that Gucci bag or like all the shit that they're peddling you on Amazon, on TV, on like every single like product placement on Netflix or whatever. Like they're always trying to sell you something. And if you, once you realize that you don't need that and that like humans are what matter, you know, that other people, that the other people mm-hmm. that you're living with are the ones that matter, your neighbors. Um, I think that's when generosity like comes into play rather than self-interest. And so I think for a lot of these people that I like to so fucking nice you know like a guy was like couldn't give me a ride but he literally was just like you know god bless you like gave me 20 bucks and 20 bucks like doesn't seem like a lot but like that shit if you're like that can feed you for five several days you know and and, um and and like one of the most like heartwarming like stories um i ever fucking heard uh i experienced like i was just like uh that morning of like the Pennsylvania incident, the Pennsylvania pervert. Um like I was at this Burger King and like it was like breakfast time, a cop had just dropped me off um from this other intersection. Uh and this lady like comes up to me and she's like like hey like my manager asked me if you saw your backpack like you look like you're going through something like if you need anything like I got you. And, and then she started, she started telling me like a story about her own life. Like I was once homeless, like I was pregnant with my baby boy and I didn't have any place to go. And guess what? I'm here now. I still have my child and I I have a place to stay. And she was like, you know, I know what it's like. And uh, of course, like I have, you know, what a Northwestern university, you know, but it's like, because I, I was in that specific position, you know, and she was, she was reaching out to me, you know, like it, it should be like, it should be the opposite, really, you know, I should be reaching out to her, but because I was in that specific, I put myself in that position, you know, and like, that's powerful right there, you know, that someone that like lives in rural Pennsylvania, you know, that has, I don't know, like it isn't getting in a top 10 education here at Northwestern University. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're the one extending their hand. You know? mm-hmm. It should be the opposite, you know, but you don't see that like with the endowment here mm-hmm. with the, with the level of, you know, wealth that's generated just in human capital here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like you should see it's the, it, it's truly, uh, I don't know. It, you can go. It's just, yeah, there's, 
a generosity associated with personally going through it. But I guess some people personally go through things but don't make that next step of now I should reach out to other people. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of Northwestern students, at least I know half of the students here pay the full tuition, mm -hmm. around 50%, I think. That's $80,000 a year. Yeah. And these are parents with like multiple children. Yeah. So right, they're right. paying all of that and it's not, you know, even making a dent. Yeah. Or maybe they saved up. Some people, they're still on like slight financial aid. Yeah. But well, they also have very generous financial aid. Exactly. So you and I were both Quest for students. Yeah. yeah. So we get like everything covered for the mm -hmm. most part, and then perhaps a refund check rolls in. Yeah. And they support like a couple thousand dollars a year to support us. And but and it's like that, like that generosity. It makes you. It like I feel like not only like I should, but I feel obligated to to be generous to others. You know, after mm -hmm. after that experience of a of a woman like who who was once homeless with her pregnant, homeless, mm -hmm. you know, holds everything together, you know, mm -hmm. and makes it through perseveres and then gives me the fucking orange juice that I was really craving mm -hmm. like have that. It's like if she can do it, I'm gonna have to do it now. Mm -hmm. Like, cause I'm like I'm blessed with a lot more material resources, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like that meant more than like if I gave five thousand dollars to some charity, you know, mm -hmm. really, like, you know, her her that gesture meant more than like any like material amount, you know, and I think it, a lot of it is like the value of the gesture itself rather than like the material value of the gift Definitely. or of the generosity. Definitely. I completely agree. I feel like even like small things, you have to start with the smaller things yeah. and you have to sort of realize the scope of things. We're, we're getting paid to come to a top institution. Yeah. We like, we can't hold back, you know, $5 from yeah. someone and then be like, Oh, like I didn't, it's like, I need this $5 or something. But yeah, like, in the grand scheme of things, it's gonna make it can make like a little small gesture of kindness. Yeah. Even if it's not money, even if it's something that you have that you want to give to them, or nice kind word with someone, just yeah. like all those things that you're giving that don't really affect you, but will make another person's day so much brighter. Yeah. All those small acts of kindness, I feel like, exactly. is what makes us like life worth living. Mm -hmm. And it, like, that's the thing, too. It's, like, the power when someone's in need, mm -hmm. helping them out, is worth more than any amount of money that you could throw at, like, a successful person, mm -hmm. you know? Like, if you give someone, like, $10 on the street, mm -hmm. you know, that'll give them food for an entire, like, for several days. Yeah, yeah. And it, but if you, like, throw a million dollars at someone that's making, like, already six figures mm -hmm. you know yeah that's going to add to the retirement portfolio and then yeah. buy them a yacht but it's all marginal from there if you're starting out from nothing everything matters exactly so the value of the first ten thousand dollars yeah is more than the value of the next like the twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars and then that same ten thousand dollars if you apply it to someone 
who has zero dollars compared yeah. to you know eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. So much more of a difference. Yeah, dude. So yeah, that's I think that's really important. Well, Tom, it's been a For pleasure. Sure. This is the first. Um, podcast, the first episode for the Northwestern People Podcast. Tom, it's been great having you. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad you brought this Cheeto puff along to you. And uh uh-huh. um, yeah, thank well, you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. And I guess to the audience who might be listening to this, um, I guess we'll see you for the next episode. Thank Peace. you so much. Peace. <laughs>